powerful. This morning I'm going to be wrapping up, um, it's hard to believe since Easter, the Sunday after Easter, we've been looking at God questions and covering uh, those things for the last several weeks. And if you'd like to go deeper in that topic, I, there's a book out called The God Questions by Hal Seed, and it's a study. It's 40, 40 different lessons that you can go through. In fact, if you've got a family member that doesn't believe in God, uh, I would highly recommend you give them this book because uh, it will it'll deal with all the questions that they have, you know, or, or that comes up. And over the last several weeks, we've dealt with several questions. And one of those questions was, why is there, so, why is there suffering in the world? Why does God allow suffering? That was what we dealt with right after Easter. And then, you know, we dealt with the, the topic that came up after that was, do all roads lead to heaven? And do they? Or is there only one way that leads to heaven? And we ended that, that was a powerful uh, day that day, and we ended it. The wonder of it all is that there is even any way to heaven after what we did to God's son, Jesus, and how we treated him here on this earth, that God still provided us any way at all, but God did. So we covered that, and then also in one week we covered, how can I know for sure that God is real? How can I really know for sure that God is real? And is the Bible reliable? We kind of dealt with that topic one week, and then we moved on on graduation Sunday to what is the purpose and meaning of life? So what's our purpose? And I thought that was pretty fitting on that day for the graduates that they got to see, what, why am I really here? What's my purpose? And the chief end and purpose of all of us is to what? Is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But one of our purposes that we say that our purpose here at Gratis is to glorify God and to advance his kingdom. That's why God's left us here on this earth. Have you ever thought about God could save you and do a Star Trek number on you, beam me up, Scotty? He could do that. He could just beam you up and, and take you on out of here the moment he saved you. But God doesn't operate that way. God saves us to leave us here on this earth to continue to be a witness around those people that we love. There was one guy that the, that the Lord saved, and he was so excited about his salvation, he wanted to follow Jesus everywhere he went. But Jesus said, return to your home and tell your loved ones about me. And that's exactly what he did. And then last week, we dealt with the topic, what happens to me when I die? What happens to me when I die? Because one thing, two things for certain, death and taxes. We're going to have to deal with them. But what happens to us when we die? And we saw last week, what are the consequences of a person who's received Christ and one who has not received Christ? And so we're wrapping it up, and there's a whole lot more questions in this book that can be answered. But I'm going to wrap it up today with this, with this topic of responding to the God questions. How am I to respond to someone when they ask me questions about God? Okay, have you, have you ever seen people get mad or get angry when they go to talking about God? Or have you, has anyone ever kind of asked you a question and it upset you to where you just got all frustrated and you didn't know how to answer and you began to get a little... Uh, steamy and edgy and, and you got mad yourself have, has that ever happened to you have you ever been one of those people that when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock at the door 
you go, oh Lord, I ain't going to that door. Is that, have, have you ever thought that? Or I don't want to talk to those witnesses. I don't want to get into a conversation with them. You know, what if they ask me a God question that I don't have the answer to? Have you ever been one of those people that, that said, you know what, I, I'll start witnessing when I know all the answers. I'll start telling people about Jesus when I have all the answers. You know, I, I remember early on in my Christian journey, the when I, I, I was studying the Bible, I, I was thankful that I did have parents that took me to church, and I, I went to Sunday school all those years, and I learned those lessons, and I'm thankful for all of it. You know, uh, we didn't have a wana back, or they had it, we just didn't have it at our church to, to memorize all them Bible verses, because I'd have been, man, I'd have been the one wanting to be in a wana, wanting to get all those awards and, and move on up and all that. But you know what? I'm thankful for all those lessons I learned, but I can remember thinking, man, if somebody ever asked me a question, I want to be able to give them the answer. And how do you, how'd you feel in, in school whenever the teacher would ask a question. You can always tell as a teacher, if a kid doesn't, a student doesn't know the answer, what are they gonna do? They're gonna, they're gonna look, put their head down. They're, they're not gonna do this, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, like Mr. Carter, welcome back Carter. Ooh, 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 answer me. Call on me, call on me. No, they're not gonna do that. But we have the answer, y'all. We have the answer. And when people ask the God questions, I hope by the time that we end today, you'll be able to better know how you are to respond when they ask you a question. So let's turn to the Word of God and let's see what he has to say as we look and dive into 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. He says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense or an explanation to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. This is how we are to respond according to the word of God. Let's break this down. He says, first of all, but sanctify, but sanctify yourself. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, is what he says. Now, this word sanctify means set apart. It means that it's something that has been set apart for the use of something or, or to someone. And what Peter is saying to each and every one of us is that we, the first step in this process of how we know how to respond is that we've got to be set apart. We have got to be a part of Christ. We have got to have set apart Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. That's the beginning point. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is essential. You know, you can't give away something that you do not possess, that you do not have. And so setting apart my life and saying, okay, God, I'm yours. Here I am. I submit my life to you. I claim you as Lord and Savior of my life. So that's the starting point when it comes to how we are to respond to people when they ask us the God questions. But notice he continues here. 
he says, once you have that, you're always to be ready to make a defense, an explanation to everyone who asks you. So in other words, listen, everyone. That means everyone. So that means that, golly, that, does that mean we're, we're open game for just anyone and everyone to ask us a question? How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel nervous? <laughs> does it make you go, whoa, 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 what if they ask me a question I don't know? Well, my goodness, uh, what do you normally, uh, how do you normally respond when someone asks you a question you don't know? I go, I don't know. It's, it's that simple. But I, I'll tell you what I'll do. Give me a chance to do a little research, and I'll get back with you. Okay? That's the proper way to, to answer when someone asks you a question that you do not know. But he's saying here in this text, be ready to answer the question to everyone. To be able to make a, an explanation. This word that is in this make a def defense is explanation. Actually, the word argument is used, even though it's not to mean to be argumentative. And, and here's why I'll say that. There's, there's several men of God that I love and respect that have, have made a major impact on my life. Dr. Charles Stanley is one of those men. Dr. Stanley was the man that God used to preaching the gospel that when I came to respond to the gospel invitation of being a minister, he used Dr. Stanley. Another man that means a lot to me is Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Dr. Ravi Zacharias is, is an uh, apologist, and he goes around all the world in universities, and he's one of these that he gets uh, with these college students, and they ask him all kinds of questions. But you know what I love about him? Is that I never see him to where he gets ruffled. I never see him where he gets angry or frustrated. How I see him respond is, he's brilliant, by the way, but he intellectually, he's dealing with a lot of intellectual people, but he speaks at their level to where they can understand. A lot of times it's over my head, amen, but, but he is so brilliant, but he, he shares it. He shares it, and he never argues with them, but he explains it to where they're sitting there. He takes away all excuses for them to where they're exposed to the truth. Chuck Swindoll is another big fan of mine that I, I go to and I love, but he is another one I turn to. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, you may or may not know that name, out in Dallas Theological Seminary is another one of those. And Dr. David Jeremiah, these are men that I look up to, respect, and these are men that, that I look to as models and examples to follow. Because these are the type of men that when they, when they share and they explain the answers, they don't do it mean. You know, someone said it this way. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. You could write that one down. You could post that one in your house. You could put it on the mirror. You can remind yourself every day. Say what you mean. Amen. How many of y'all live with people that don't say what they mean? Anybody in the room that live with somebody that doesn't say what they mean? Mean what you say, but, here's the key part, but don't, don't say it mean. 
Now that's where we all mess up, don't we? Am I talking to myself in this room this morning? Don't we all mess up in that area? We do, don't we? How many of you said something mean this past week? Okay. I'm looking for those that need to come to the altar at the end of the service. All right. All right. Now, the ones that didn't raise their hand. Yeah, I'd like to preach it. I never used to worry about the Pope sitting out at the altar. I worried about the people that didn't come to the altar. <laughs> Amen. But listen, I said some things mean this week. You know, uh, Caleb, Caleb, uh, I texted, Caleb was going to have a photo shoot over with this lady with this book. Big thing for him this week. And I texted him Tuesday and I said, what time's the lady coming? He said, oh, didn't Jessica tell you she's not coming? I said, what? I said, your mama cleaned up for an hour last night and she had us cleaning up for an hour last night and she was barking orders all over this place to get this place cleaned up last night. And I said, you realize what you've done to us? I was kidding, you realize. But here's the deal. Uh, then I sat back, listen. He said, hey, at least the house is clean. <laughs> and then I sat back, uh, yes it is, and I said, oh, could you tell her she's coming again next week? Because I like a clean house, you see. But, you know, the house sometimes doesn't get clean. But, but last night, you know, we, we, we finally, at the house, we got a garden, and the first fruits came off, which is the squash. So my beloved said, I'm going to cook you some fried squash. And so I went out there and picked that squash, brought it in, and then, you know, she, she was cooking, and she cooks, and she doesn't clean while she cooks. She just keeps cooking and scattering and all that good stuff. And flour and everything else is all scattered everywhere. And finally last night, I looked around and I said, well, you know, the other day when that lady came, was supposed to come, there wasn't anything on the counters. And now I can't even find a place to put something down on the counter. And guess what? That didn't get me any points, guys. I might as well had just fussed her out because what I had done was mean. Mean. I didn't, I didn't think I said it mean, but I learned a, a big lesson. And so what did I have to do this morning? I had to, I, you know, last night I was so tired I went on to bed because I said this. If I say anything, it's going to be taken wrong, so I'm just going to go on to bed. This morning I got up and I said, you got to be the man. You got to be the man. So I went up and I was the man and I went over and said, grab your hand and said, honey, will you forgive me for being mean and acting the way I did last night? She did. And so y'all, we've all done stuff, haven't we? But we can't say things when we're talking and giving answers to people that don't know the Lord. And we're going to act mean or angry toward them. I don't know if that's going to work too well. It says, always be ready to make an explanation, a defense. Everyone who asks you to give an account for what? For the hope. For the hope that is in you. For the hope that is in you. Isn't that, isn't that good news this morning to know that? The hope that is in you. And Paul said this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now here's the key. That's why you have to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart because you have to have him on the throne. He has to be Lord of your life. 
for him to be in you. But once he's in you, you have the hope of glory. Have you ever been around a Christian and they acted as if they had no hope? Or like their hope is gone? Listen, y'all, of all people, we need to be walking around, of all people, rejoicing and thankful that we have hope. We have the greatest hope. He's saying here, always be ready to give an account for what the hope, the hope that is in you. Man, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean into Jesus' name. In Christ alone. Didn't we just sing that? My hope is in him, in Christ alone. It can't be in anything else. It can't be in your 401k. It can't be in any of your investments. It can't be in any of your family members. My hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. And by having that hope, I have a reason to give an answer. I see people that act like they don't have any hope. And, they, and they're walking around as if they're hopeless. And of all people, we have the most to be hopeful for because of that personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And that's what's so amazing. But he tells us that we give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, how do we respond? We're to do it with gentleness and respect, with reverence. I want you to put up here on the screen what I believe every believer, every Christian, every follower of Jesus should know. You should know what you believe. You should know why you believe it. You should know how to share it with others and how to defend it against the lies and attacks that are going to come. You got to know what you believe, why you believe it, how to defend it, and because attacks are going to come. Attacks are going to come. It's going to happen. How to share it. You know, one of the things that, that he tells us to do here is to answer it with gentleness and respect, with reverence. You know, the thing that, um, that I see and I, I get exposed, one of the things about social media is this. Social media kind of puts you out there to where when you begin to share things on social media, it kind of reveals what you think. And how do you respond to certain things? Some of you are very active in social media. Others of you were and then got out of it. Some of you go, it's too consuming. But what I've seen in some cases in social media is Christians responding in such a way that's not with gentleness and respect to other people that are non-Christian. I see that all the time. And I, and I go, I go, I actually think, does this person not realize what they're doing? Does this person not realize that you're never going to win an argument with an unbeliever trying, being angry at them or fussing at them or being rude to them and you're trying to win them over to Jesus? It's just not going to happen, y'all. It's just not going to happen. And so what I've learned is, is this. Even God's word says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Do you get that? It's God's kindness 
that leads us to repentance. If anyone should be mad or angry at us, it would, be, it would have been God. But God, through his grace and his love and his mercy and through his gentle way and through his kind way, through it leads us to that place of repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Jesus as Lord, and then following him in the journey. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect the rest of the life, but it does mean that you now have his spirit, and you're now on a journey that, that when you walk with him and you talk with him, and then when you mess up, he deals with your mess up, but your journey keeps going on on a daily basis. And so what I see here is this is how we are to respond to others with gentleness and respect, even when others may be rude and disrespectful to us. Anybody ever have somebody get angry or mad at them when you were talking to them about the Lord? You ever had that happen? They, they might get so mad that they begin to curse you. And you know, I used to take that personally. You know, I used to. But then I figured it out that it wasn't against me. It, it was actually they were angry with God. And I just happened to be his representative. I was on the scene one time. Clay, appreciate this, but I was on the scene one time as a chaplain for the fire department. And I, I saw this old boy over there, and, and I mean, he was a roughneck. I mean, he was. And his, his house had just been burned. And I knew there was a guy with the fire department. He, he was pulling me over there to introduce me to him, and I was like, uh-uh, now's not the time. Now's not the time. But, but this guy pulled me on over, and he introduced me as the chaplain. And guess what I got? I got an earful of how angry this man was with God and what just happened. And guess what? I just stood there. And then I, all I could do was say, Sir, I'm sorry for what's happened to you. If you need to talk, I'm here. If not, I understand. Left it at that. That's all you can do in certain situations. But we... You know, we could bow up. We could get back and bow up back into their face, but who, who in their right mind is going to bow up on a man who's just had his house burned? That's not too wise at all. But you know, God, God works in all these situations, and he's watch, he wants to use us to be an example of his love and his grace and his mercy in those times. Because even Jesus, when he was on that cross, when, when they were mocking him and saying all kinds of things against him. They said he saved others. He can't even save himself. If you are the Christ come down from that cross. And Jesus even in the midst of all of that. He said father forgive them. Because they do not know what they're doing. Now that is amazing grace. And that's what the world needs to see. And so when the people ask you the questions that could be upsetting or they might be rude and disrespectful to you then how should you respond with love and grace and gentleness and respect to them that's how you're going to do it that's how you're going to do it you know I, I remember uh, you know when we when we were uh, putting in for the land we had some opposition to us 
on the land. But you know what God taught me? Is how am I to respond to any opposition? With this right here. With gentleness and respect. And so when any questions were asked to me or anything was done, I said, God, what they need to see more than anything is they need to see the love and the grace and the kindness of God because I want you to get the glory. I want you to be seen in this situation. And hopefully for those of you that went and saw anything of what took place, you got to see just that. But listen, we're going to be put on the spot and you're going to be put in moments to where it, it'd be the easy thing to get mad and bow up. But it takes more of a man of God to be humble and to give an answer with gentleness and meekness and self-control. That's what we're dealing with. I want to close out with a couple of stories with you this morning. One of the, uh, the stories is, it really hit me because it's like when, when, you, when you know you have the answer to something, you should be willing to share it with others. And this story is found in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. And uh, you can look there, but I'm going to just kind of tell you the story. It was, um, there was a king of Syria that had come against the, the village, the town of Samaria. And they had actually, this king had actually surrounded this, this town to where they couldn't get any food, any supplies. And so Samaria was sitting there to where without any food, it, it actually said they were, they were selling a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver. People were eating donkey head. You think that's bad? The next line said, and they were selling dove dung for, I think it said $5 for a pint. Dove dung. Do you know what that is, don't you? All right, if you don't, look to your neighbor and let them explain it to you. That's pretty bad if that's what you got to eat. And then it got so bad that this woman went to the king and said, listen, we took my son and sacrificed him and boiled him and we ate my son. And then this woman right here agreed to do that with her son. And we did this for my son, but now she's hidden her son. That's pretty bad that when it's cannibalism was taking place. And that's right there in 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7, y'all. Then it finally got to the point the king heard all of that, tore his clothes, and was mad at this prophet by the name of Elijah. Elisha, excuse me. But Elisha said this. He said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy the grain and the wheat for a low price. And they were like, how is that going to happen? And even the king's right-hand royal officer said, if God were to open up the windows of heaven, how could this be? That's a pretty interesting comment. If God were to open up the windows of heaven, how could this be? So he's kind of mocking God. Well, guess what? The story continues. There were four leprous guys that were sitting at the gate of Samaria. You know, the lepers couldn't get in. They had to stay outside. So they were sitting at the gate, and they, they looked at each other, and they, one of them said, listen, if we sit here, we're going to die. But if we go inside the gate to Samaria, they don't have any food. We're going to die there. So let's just go to the camp of the Syrians, our enemy. 
And if they take us in, we live. If they don't take us in, they kill us. And hey, we don't have nothing to lose. So that was their game plan, all right? So they take off right at twilight, right at evening time. They head over to the camp. And they march into this camp of the great Syrian army that had surrounded Samaria. And, and here's what happened. There was nobody there. They had fled. They had all left because God sent, in verse 6 of chapter 7, God sent a sound that made that army think that the king of Egypt and the other king of Assyria was coming down on them. So they fled for their lives. And all their food and all their gold and all their silver and all their goods were left in the tent. <laughs> and then here comes these four leprous guys up and they just start, man, they just start eating away, man. They're eating all this food and then they take the gold and the silver and they go hide it. Then they come back to another tent and they, they take that gold and silver and they go hide it. And there's what happens next. And here's the verse I want you to hear. Found in verse 9 of chapter 7. They came to this conclusion. They said, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. Now when I read that verse this week, it hammered me. Those lepers had the food, and they had the gold and the silver. They had everything that was needed, and they... They thought back over here in the town of Samaria, just a few miles away, were people that were starving. And they said, what we're doing is just hoarding it for ourselves. What we're doing, we've got the answer. We've got the answer. And what we're doing is just not right. We're keeping, we're taking all of this stuff and we're keeping silent about it. This is a day of good news. Let's go and tell them. It's right over here. May I say to you, church, we're living in a day of good news. And it is time for the church to not be silent about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when someone asks you a question, be ready. Be willing to give an account for that hope. That hope. That hope that we have. Listen, this life is soon to pass. Stephen Ofer said, only one life will soon pass and only those things done for Christ will last. And it's, it's passing by, like you said, wait, four years, Joseph's ordination, four years gone by like that. It's going to pass. But we have the good news, y'all. Do you know... What evangelism is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what evangelism is. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's four leprous men going back to Samaria and telling them the good news. And they did. They did it that night. The king didn't believe them. And he even sent a company to follow to make sure it was true. He thought it was a trap. But indeed, God had given them the victory that they needed. That's a powerful story. And I hope that's a verse you're going to remember. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. So, 
when that person that gets that news that they've got a terminal illness and God heals them, do you think they're going to keep silent? Do you think they're going to remain silent? When somebody has a God thing, a miracle happen in their lives, you cannot keep silent about the, what God is doing in your life. I hope for that day 700 Club gets to hear your story. I know some stories that God has already done in this room and how, how he's already healed in this room. And here's a final story I'm going to share with you. I've got a few minutes left. And here's the story. And it's, it's short, but you'll enjoy it. It's, called, it's simply called Keep Your Fork. Keep Your Fork. There was a lady that, an elderly lady that was given the news she had a terminal illness. So she invited the pastor to come over. And she was told she only had three months to live. So the pastor came over, they sat down, and they went through the funeral arrangements. And, and he listened to everything. And as he got up to leave, he asked her this question, is there anything else that I can do for you? And she said, yes, there is, pastor. There's one more thing. When you bury me, could you put a fork in my casket, in my hand? He kind of looked puzzled, and she said, this is why I want you to do that. She said, I've been coming to this church for a long time, and one of my greatest memories is all these meals that we've enjoyed together, all this fellowship that we've had. And one of the favorite parts of the evening is after we've eaten the meal, is when one of the ladies or my friends lean over and said, keep your fork. Keep your fork. Because by keeping that fork, I know that something is coming. And so she said, so pastor, whenever they come and they view me, they're going to wonder, why is that fork in her hand? Why is that fork? Why is she holding that fork? And you tell them at the end of my service, the best is yet to come. That dessert's coming. That hope is going to be fulfilled. So keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you.